0: Man. Hey, good morning, Hills family. How we doing? Yeah, hey, awesome, awesome, awesome. You might notice um, there. Well, one, I need to greet all of our all of our campuses. Good morning to you in Old Town. We know you are with us, Pastor Dwayne. Good morning in Novato in Marin County to that campus there, the Hills Nevado. Good morning to the Hills to Larry Street. What's up to you guys? Good morning, online community. I find time and time again, I'm finding faithful people that watch every week. And I know because they're critiquing my sermon when I see them. Um, no, we, I love it. Um, I was with a guy this week and he's like, yeah, I haven't been in church in a, in a minute. But I listen to the podcast every Monday on my way to work. And I drive a lot and I'm, I'm, we're with you. We're in, on, we're in on Raised to Life, all that. It's just a neat way that the world connects now. Now, like I said, there's a bunch of children gathering behind me. They're not here to kill me. But um, the number one rule of showbiz, you never follow animals and children. And I'm going to break that rule because we have a special song for you today that children do. And some of them have brought their Raise to Life piggy banks. I don't know if you know, uh, our kids were doing Raise to Life too. And they, they, are you know, many of these kids will end up reaping the benefit of the Raise to Life campaign over this, over their life change. I know, parents, it's hard to believe that these little angels one day will be teenagers. <laughs> and teenagers are awesome, right? Okay, yeah. So, so, yeah. But one day they will, and they'll reap the benefits of it. So here's what I need from the people in the room is it's scary to be on stage sometimes you guys as beautiful people as you are you're frightening looking so you need to encourage them and get them going and uh let's um as they're piling on i think we're just gonna get going so let's get it going let's start the song high five. Give me a hard one. Come on, high five. Big one. Oh, ow. Dang. Come on. Someone give me a hard high five. Who's got some muscles? Oh, that's it. There we go. All right. All right. So give it up for the kiddos. You guys can just start moseying off. It's all about me now, guys. Get off. No, I'm kidding. I kid I kid listen there is a lot of like there is a, like you have to work up courage to stand in front of a crowd like this and um, you know you always catch like kids future adult personalities come out in these right you have the kid that is like there you know they're going to be like the 4.79 GPA kid because they have the dance down perfect and they're like you know, they've they practiced it, right? You've got the kid that's, like, just footloose. They're just like, oh. You know, you've got the kid that's, like, I call them Cobbs, Cranky Old Baptist. They're, they're six, and they're already, like, this is lame. I'm not doing it, right? Like, they, they all come out there. When uh, one of my kids was uh, five, four or five, I can't remember. But um, we did this kind of thing in my church in Oceanside, and I remember he was just not having it that day. So he comes out and, you know, they're singing the song and he's totally cranky old Baptist. He's just scowl on his face like, this is lame. Can't believe my dad's making me do this, you know, because he didn't want to do it. And I was like, well, you can talk to your therapist when you're an adult. You're going up there and doing it. I've got trauma from singing in church. Um, so halfway through the song, I know what he was doing. He's like, oh, I'll show my dad. Pastor's son proceeds to take his shirt pull it over his head and stand like this the rest of the song I guess he did he got me so anyways um I think he got his mom more than me I thought I actually there was a part of me that was really proud (laughs) that little rebellious streak I'm like I know where that comes from anyways so um you know G.K. Chesterton, who was one of the great writers of the 19th century, he, he talked about courage, though, because courage is a thing. Like, you, like, we were all called at some point in our life to be courageous. Like, there's something in the human spirit that we want to be courageous. It's why when we watch movies and someone does something courageous, they stand up for something. They stand out. They take a leap of faith, whatever it is. It makes the human heart sore. And the reason it makes our, sore, our heart sore is because you were created by God to do courageous things. To step into places that you didn't know how it was going to turn out. And as scary as it is, you were created by that. That's why when you do it, it like, something happens in us. But, here's the thing. The world we live in is contrary to that. The world you live in, you and I live in, is designed for us to not be courageous. It's designed for us to be very comfortable. Like, so comfortable, I don't even have to drive to McDonald's anymore. I can have someone drive it to me. Right? I, I, I have all the technology in the world. I don't, like... I don't have to take risks I can watch movies about people that have taken risks I don't need to go on adventures because I can watch a show about someone going on an adventure I could read a blog I could watch a reel I could watch a tiktok of you know a seven second tiktok of someone that's doing something adventurous I could put on an oculus and climb half them I don't have to do those things anymore and here's what's really happened is it is killing the human soul The soul of the modern person is sick because you were called to live a life of faith. And G.K. Chesterton said it this way. He said, The paradox of courage is that a person must be filled, or that a person must be a little careless in their life in order to keep it. The paradox of courage is that a person must be a little careless with their life in order to keep it. I I hear quotes like that and I'm like, yeah. And I get it. I like everyone has a different personality. And I'm a bit more of the bungee jumping, pinto driving, skydiving kind of kind of guy. Like, I like risk. I like things like that. It's not that I'm not scared of them. You know, if if I'm about to paddle in on a big wave or I'm standing at the edge of a cliff or I'm doing something like that, I am scared. My heart is racing. I step to the edge and go, oh, and then I go, oh. Let's go, right? Send it. And, and I get it. Not everyone has that, but there is something in every human that wants to be courageous, wants to do something courageous, wants to be part of a group that does something courageous. That's your daddy put that in you. Your heavenly father put it in you. So today is the last day of our Raised to Life um, series. And some of you are like, finally, a five-week giving series. You're killing me. I get it, I get it, but, but you have to know something. The goal of this thing was that, ever, that anyone that calls Clovis Hills their home, we would have 100% participation. And what I mean by that is that they would be all in on this gospel initiative called Raise to Life. In Raise to Life, we're trying to do three things in the next two years. We want to raise up new disciples, we want to raise up new churches, and we want to raise up new buildings. We want to see 2,000 people say yes to Jesus. We want to see 1,000 people step into the waters of baptism. That's that 2,000 new disciples. We We want to see five churches planted here in the western part of the United States. We want to plant 10 churches overseas, and we want to train 300 church planters overseas. That's a total of over 30 years, 500 churches planted thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of people affected with the gospel of Jesus in just a two-year initiative. And then finally, we want to raise new buildings. We want to, we want to, we want to retrofit old buildings. We, we want to see new light through old windows. We want to see God at work at our Tulare Street campus, our Old Town campus, our Novato campus, here on our North campus, all of those things. And what we're calling the people of God to do is to pray and decide, how do I get in on what God is about to do over the next two years? So this morning, I want to read to you from Joshua chapter 1. See, the background to it is, is, you know, Moses and the Israelites, they left Egypt, and they roamed the desert for 40 years. And I could get into that, but um, they, God had always promised the Israelites the promised land. This, this little area between Lebanon and Egypt and Syria and, Ira- and I, I, Iraq... And, and th- this portion of land, and it's really kind of the center of the planet, and all the continents connect that way. And God had promised that to this guy Abraham, who lived way before Moses. And then it was promised again to, to Abraham's children, and whoever would come after him. And then when Moses and the, the Israelites left Egypt, they thought they were going to the promised land. And they ended up having to roam the desert for 40 years to live nomadically, and learn to become God's people again. And now, Moses has died... And God says to Joshua, it's on. You're going to move into the promised land. You're going to move into that place that I promised your forefathers. As crazy as it sounds, you're just going to go in there and you're going to take it over. You're going to go to war. And Joshua had to lead a group of people into something incredibly uncomfortable. Not just one moment. There were many moments, it was years of moments where they had to trust God. Where the future was uncertain and things appeared bleak. And I want to read to you from Joshua 1.6 because the, thing, the, prom, the great promise of scripture is in this passage here. And it starts in Joshua 1.6. If we could put that scripture up. Right, the Lord comes to Joshua and he says, be strong and courageous because your life's going to be really comfortable and you're just going to have blessing upon blessing and and you're going to get uber eats and um you'll ride unicorns on rainbows and eat skittles all day no it didn't say that did it it says be strong and courageous why do you need to be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that i swore to your ancestors And what God was reminding Joshua, and Joshua knew it, is, hey, this is going to be hard. It's going to be uncertain. We don't know how we're going to get it done. You know, I'm sure there were people like, Joshua, we're going to the promised land, and we're going to fight all those Canaanites, and we're going to take the land from them. How are we going to do that? And Joshua was like, I don't know. But we're going. And we'll figure it out when we get there. And you planner types, let me tell you. Listen, I love you, because the world wouldn't... Like, trust me, the world would be awful without the planner types. But there are moments where you have to just step in the darkness and go, we're going to figure this out because God is with us. And we've planned Raised to Life for the last year and a half. Really, it began two years ago. We started praying about it as leadership. And if you look at the next verse, verse 7 and 8, look what happens in this passage. Because God keeps talking. And he says it again be strong and very courageous because your life is going to be blessed and you're going to live your best life now and you're going to have a really nice car and your kids are going to go to it. No, it didn't say that whatsoever. Why did he need to be strong and very courageous? Because it was going to take faith. Faith and courage are hand in hand, hand in glove. He says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey The law of my servant Moses that he gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. So what we've said over the last five weeks, God reiterates it here again. When you obey God, you will always be blessed. You may not be richer. You may not be always happy. That's never been guaranteed in this life whatsoever. But you will be blessed when you obey God. Sometimes beyond your means, you you can't imagine. Sometimes miraculously. Sometimes... It's just a simple fact that God has more than you and you can't outgive Him, and He's always going to give back to you. So look what, it, look what it says in verse nine. Next verse. "Have I not commanded you? Be comfortable. Oh oh wait, I'm sorry. Third time. Third time. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Why would he say do not be afraid? Why would God say something like that? God would never lead us into danger. Oh, nay nay. <laughs> I love, you know, in the, the Chronicles of Narnia books that um, C.S. Lewis wrote, you know, when they ask about Aslan, Aslan is the lion in the, in the story, and he's really the, the, the representation of Christ in that story. And And um, they're talking about him, and Lucy, the little girl, has never met Aslan. She's never seen him. And she goes, Aslan the lion? Is, is, Is he safe? And the beaver says, oh, no, he's not safe at all. But he is good. But he is good. The Jesus we follow, guys, is not safe. He is good. And he's called us to bigger things than we could ever imagine. He's called us to greater things than we could do on our own. And it will be dangerous and it will. We don't know how things work out when we take steps of faith in our life. But here's what we do know. I want to read the rest of this verse. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why would he say that? Isn't, oh, because when things are hard, you get discouraged. And there are times when you live the life of faith following God. You will be discouraged. I'm here to encourage you today. Look at your neighbor and say, you will be discouraged. You will be afraid. But be strong and courageous. Why? Why, why is all that? Because it says it right here. This is the best part. This is the best part of it. It's because God is with you. The Lord your God is with you. It doesn't matter that yes, you will be scared. Yes, you will be you will be uncomfortable. You will be discouraged. But God is with you. That yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. Is what He's saying. My staff and my rod will comfort you. That th- th- the enemy has no realm over you. That that not that this fl- flesh and blood will not prosper over you. That I, the Lord God of the universe, I have you in the palm of my hand. I'll never let you go. So Joshua, if you look at the the next, last two verses, I want to read you this passage. It says, so Joshua, verse 10 and 11, ordered the officers of of the people, go through the camp, tell the people, get your provisions ready. In three days, in three days from now, you will cross the Jordan Here and go and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Here's what Joshua understood about faith. Joshua understood that faith is is a moment and a life. So Joshua guaranteed, like, he knew, like, this isn't just, I'm going to do this one thing and then God's going to make it all magically happen. Because sometimes when we read the story, right, we just think like, oh, it just unfolded in, in one hour and 45 minutes and then the credits roll, right? But I don't know if you realize this, the Israelites were at war in the promised land for years and years, like, when Joshua got to the Jordan River, if you were to picture the Jordan River, um, if you could picture the San Joaquin River coming out of the Friant Dam right now, it's about that wide. It's very deep. It would have been in the springtime when, when this happened. So all of the snow from Mount Hermon, which is like, if I'm giving you like kind of topical distance, it'd be like Mount Hermon is in Madeira, and all the snow there at six 7,000 feet is melting in the spring. And it's flowing into multiple streams, flowing into this big sea, the Sea of Galilee. It's a freshwater lake. And then from the Sea of Galilee, it flows into a river called the Jordan River. And it goes from about, um, Sea of Galilee is about 2,000 feet. It goes from 2,000 feet to the Dead Sea, which is um, the lowest place on the earth, 1,700 feet below sea level. It goes fast. From the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, so it's rushing, it's hauling. It's not like our San Joaquin in a drought where it's like. Tickle, 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 tickle. It's moving, and there's other rivers feeding the Jordan. And he gets to the edge of this river, and it's just flowing, and it's deep. And he goes, "Oh, okay." And he's got he's got to get all these people across it. And the Lord said he was going to part it, so he comes to it, and he has to take that one step, that moment. When the Lord parts the waters and he has to go, let's go. But imagine if he only took one step. Yeah, eventually God would get tired and wipe him out. God would be like, hey, you didn't you didn't walk long enough. You just took a step into the Jordan. Now drown. But he doesn't do that Joshua understood that the life of faith was not just the first step the first step is the hardest step but really it was a life of I'm gonna keep putting my foot in front of the other I'm gonna do what I've been called to do I'm gonna do what is right and that's what faith is it's a moment and it is a process it is a decision it is a long obedience in the same direction so I don't know if you know this. This church, 30 years ago, um, they, the the founders of this church—some some of you are in this room right now. Uh, per, the first first bit of of what was Clovis Hills is they bought 40 acres of land right here where this campus sits. The they had no idea that we would not just be here but in other places and other counties and people around the world and there's people in Japan watching us right now good morning Richard actually good evening to you Richard and Mickey and just all over the world watching they had no idea how that was going to work neither did I but 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 here's the thing the hope of this church from its inception is that it would be a place it would be a people that were a light to the world a light to the community to, to Clovis, to Fresno, to, to California, to the ends of the earth. And they had no idea how it would happen or how it would work. But they had a dream and a team and they just went for it. And Jesus, he says this in Matthew. In Matthew's gospel, he, he said it on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the light of the world. He was talking to the disciples. He was talking to the church. Who's the church? Right? Right? Oh, that was good. We're the church. This is not the church. The building is not the church. This is a, these are boxes where the church sits. As a matter of fact, we've, we've got four of them where the church sits. You count the venue, there's five. They're, just, they're boxes. They're, they're holy places where God's people come together and lift him up. And we believe that when the Son of Man is lifted up, the world will be drawn to him. But you guys are the church. You take Jesus into this community. You are the ones that, that if you think about it, God had no other plan but you to take Jesus to the world. I'll get to that in a minute. Let me keep reading the scripture. He says, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine to others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, there is this concept that when Christ is in you and you are lifting him up in your life and you are obeying him, that the world sees that. And some of the world goes, Ew, eh, right? But there are those in the world that God has been wooing and calling and drawing to him. And they see it and they go, I want that. I want him and that's how you be the church is you obey Jesus everywhere you go right and see do you remember when um, villages were like they would build the church and then they would build a town around the church building Have you ever seen seen those I think we have some pictures of them right there's one It was built that way because the church was really the city on the hill. It was the the, the light to the town. It was the place where if things were bad, if someone was sick, if someone was dying, if someone was hurting, if a marriage was troubled, if something was going on, we know where God's people are. They're right there. We know where to go to find Jesus. It's right there. Right? See, the people that first started this church, they were no different than us. They were a ragtag bunch of sinners. I know some of them. They're worse than us. Listen. I'm kidding. They're not. Their dream was that the church would be that place where the community knew. And a few years ago, we began to talk about, okay, well, God is blessed our church with more than we could ever imagine. There's four campuses now. And there's people watching everywhere. Like, we can't just sit on dirt, and we can't just sit in these old buildings and be content. Like, how do we leverage what God has given us, that he stewarded us as a church? How do we use that for the kingdom to go further? And um, we began to sit down and dream up what each campus would look like. I have a couple pictures of what this forty acres could look like. You know, we could do more than just farm dirt. Imagine uh, on the corner out there, where every day seven to ten thousand people drive by it. There's a college, there's a high school, there's a junior high. There's people moving by it all day long. Imagine if we had places where people could gather, where they you know they could get coffee or they could get lunch, and kids could play. And some of you're like, "What are those those bumps on the grass? Those are the Clovis Hills, people." So, anyways. Like, imagine that it wasn't just a parking lot, but it was a place where the community came, where someone said, hey, let's go to lunch. Where are we going to go to lunch? Oh, let's go to Clovis Hills. Let, let's go to the hills. Let's go, you know, or, you know th- that, that ultimately all of our campuses became destinations, not just a place where we gathered on Sunday. A place where non-Christians could come. And they would rub up against the people of God. And what would happen is you would see people that God was calling and wooing. And they would go, wait, wait, I want that. And yeah, I'm going to let you know, there'll be haters. There'll be haters. There's always that. You can't follow Jesus without having people criticize you. But I want to be comfortable. No, you want to be faithful. So, so, guys, here's what I tell you. The future, your future, is dependent on what you do in this day. Every decision you make is shaping who you'll be tomorrow. You have to understand that. Every habit you create in your life is shaping who you'll be tomorrow. And the future is dependent on what we do today. The choices that we make, the sacrifices, the consequences will make the world that we believe should be tomorrow. Rather than cursing the darkness and being like, oh, the UC school system, oh, you know, whatever it is, politics, whatever party you're for, whatever. Rather than cursing the darkness, God has actually left you and I ridiculously in charge. Of helping shape tomorrow. And he's given us a mission to go make new disciples. And populate, over populate heaven as best we can. So, um, some, some of you, if you're new here today, I want you to understand something. Um, this is the day we're kind of pledging what we're going to give over and above to see raise to Life happen. And if you're new, like don't feel like you need to give anything today. Like the, just, just watch. If you're considering, like, joining this church, I want you to know something. I'm not going to apologize, though, because I really believe you're here in one of the church's finest moments. Where you're going to see God's people go, nope, I'm in. I'm crossing the river. I'm taking the land. The preferred future that God has for for us as a people, I'm going to be part of that. And you're going to see people act in faith over the next two years. And you're going to see lives change. We saw it happen We've seen it happen for 30 years at this church. When people, God's people respond in faith, he blesses them. He does great things. We've been showing testimonies over the last five weeks of just how God works in people's lives. And we really could show one every Sunday for years to come because God is just at work. I don't know if you know this. Just this year, probably we're going to have by the, by the end of December, we're going to have about 400 people that have made decisions for Jesus this year. Well, hundreds of people baptized on all all of our campuses. It's it's, it's happening. You, You have to know that. And why do we do this? Why do we sacrifice? Why? Because we believe the gospel really does change lives. It makes dead people walk, rise. It makes people far from God made new. In every nook and cranny of our city, the gospel, when it comes to life, it changes a life. So I want you to watch this video of my friend Colin.
1: I grew up in West Virginia. My mom had me, she was 15 years old. Uh, Mom and dad never got married. Uh, My life looked like a lot of moving around because my mom had uh, different husbands, different boyfriends. So I had like 100% freedom as a seventh, eighth grader with not having so much stability. Kind of just started trying out whatever I wanted to do, started doing drugs, alcohol, um, girls. Um, But after a while, uh, I started getting really exhausted from that. And uh, my dad had always talked to me and was like, hey, if you want to ever come live with me, you can. And just the year prior, he moved from North Carolina to California. Um, So we go to Fresno, we unpack into our house. And um, one goal that was on my mind was to find a church. My friend invites me to an outreach night. um, So I'm like, okay, I've been looking for a church. I'll go check it out. And I go, Mike, come check it out. Uh, I started meeting friends and um, coming every Wednesday night. And so halfway through my sophomore year, when I start uh, really getting into church and my relationship with Christ, COVID happened. My dad and stepmom were very strict with COVID. So I wasn't able to go to church in person. October, 2021, I'm at Home Depot with my dad. And he tells me, yeah, my eyes were looking pretty yellow yesterday, so I went to the doctor. I said I probably have cancer. A month and a half later, he dies from cancer. Um, In January, my stepmom, really burdened by grief and doesn't know how to cope, she kicks me out of her house. And I had nowhere to go. So... Um, Me and Derek, the youth pastor here, we're close, so I tell him what's going on and he calls me and he says, hey, I talked to Aubrey and we want you to come move in with us. Like, when can we pick you up? And so I pack up all my stuff in three or four days. Um, I move in with him. We get things situated with the school. After a couple weeks of living with Derek and Aubrey, I felt like that was more of a home for me than I had ever really felt at my previous house. And um, they just poured love into me. And there's something that Pastor Sean says. It's um, you really start to look at your life and your relationship with Christ through trial, trauma, and transition. And I was kind of going through all three. And so I was really able to look at my life and I feel like at points like that you either dig into God 100%, or you dig into the world 100% with drugs and stuff like that. And I had already um, tried the drugs, tried the alcohol, tried everything else, and, and I was just praying one day and I was like, God, like I'm just gonna trust you with 100%, with everything. And so um, I didn't get my self-worth from what people thought of me because I felt so secure in knowing that The creator of the universe, deeply loves and and knows me. And um, that was just really comforting to me. Um, Clovis Hills is quite literally the reason why I have a home. Hi, my name is Colin Cheyegi Webb. I've been raised to life and I'm all in.
0: we do matters the local church really is the hope of the world God has no other plan for redemption on this planet, not the United Nations not the United States not the European Union no empire, no leader, no one but Jesus and he left his church here to redeem the world there's no other plan but us, think about that look around the room right now course none of you do it it always works that way look around the room look at the people in this room god picked us we're not that great last i checked this church is a rag tag group of sinners as a matter of fact like you guys are probably more sinners than most of the other churches in town and i'm the chief of those sinners I'm the King Misfit and here's the thing guys, he chose a mongrel group of people called the church, everywhere around the world, He, with God it, to reveal himself to the world from now until Christ returns, he didn't choose to reveal himself in a pillar of smoke and fire. He didn't even choose to reveal himself by his son walking around the Sea of Galilee gathering followers that way. The way he chose to reveal himself to the world, and he has no other plan for it, is he said, I'm going to take a bunch of broken, messed up sinners, I'm going to forgive them, I'm going to save them, I'm going to give them my spirit, and as broken, as messed up as they are, they're going to look like little shards of glass, and I'm going to put them together, and they're going to become this beautiful mosaic that changes the world. That's the church. That's all four of our congregations. But what we do matters. So I stand here today, and if you call this your home, like I'm I'm not gonna shirk back, I'm gonna boldly tell you, you should give. You should do it. If you've never given before, I'm just gonna let you know, it's hard. But God always, always blesses your obedience. If you've prayed about it, and God said nothing, don't give anything, just serve toward it, Whatever, that's that, there's a no guilt policy again. We're not like, I'm not gonna be looking on the list like, you didn't give your pledge. Who cares? There's no guilt here. But what I will tell you is you will never be more blessed than when you obey God. So in a minute, we're gonna collect this um, card, this pledge card here. And on it, it looks, the, the top line is just what you think you normally give throughout the year, what your normal giving is, um, you know, my wife and I, we give percentage. A percentage of our income goes to God every, every month, the first of it, right? So we'll put what we give for the next two years on the top. And then the next line, we're just going to put um, what we're going to give over and above to raise to life. And then we'll total it, what our, what that is over two years. And then the this this last line here. Is if you have, maybe, maybe you have, like, you don't have cash, but you have assets. Like, you have crops that you could give, or stock, or Bitcoin, or, or um, you know, whatever it is. Please don't give us your old TV. <laughs> People do that. They'll, like, I brought my TV. It's, like, from 1975. Like wheeled it in. And they're, like, I'm going to give that to God. Don't give that to God. He doesn't want it. And then what your two-year total is. So in a minute, the ushers are going to collect the cards. If you're here today and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so self-conscious because I'm new and I didn't give anything. Like, don't worry about it. We're not, we don't have, like, people being like, seat 47. We have a non-giver. Go shake them down. We're not doing that. No, one, no, one's, no one's watching you. They're all concerned. We're all very self-conscious. We're not thinking of you. We're thinking of ourselves. If you feel guilty, just drop an empty card in. That's fine. You know, if you're a clown, you can write like, forget you, BD. On, I don't care. I won't see it anyway. But this is one of those moments, right? Where you stand at the precipice of a journey of faith for the next two years and you got to go, I don't know what it looks like on the other side. I don't know how we're going to get there, but I know who's with me. I know who's with me. So um, I'm gonna pray over this offering and then the ushers, you guys can collect the cards. And we don't normally do an offering like this, so we're gonna be rusty at it. And if someone drops a bucket or two, that happened last service too. So, right, let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you that um, wherever we go, you are with us. You wait patiently with us. You live generously with us, Lord. And um, Father, I pray for this congregation, the people that call this their home at every campus, Lord, that we would be courageous, that we would be a people of faith, that we would step into something we don't know and believe that you will be on the other side with us, Lord. So I pray you bless the people that do that, and we thank you, and this is your church. We lay her at your feet. Take this offering and multiply it like loaves and fish. Take our little fish, our little piece of bread, and use it to feed thousands upon thousands of people spiritually, Lord. We thank you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Go ahead. You can pass the offering. I want to talk to you a little bit while they're doing that. Um, So what we are all about at this church and the reason we're giving today, so you know, is because um, the people of this church, from the inception of this church, before I ever got here, were committed to this thing called the gospel. And we, we believe that, that this, that God loves you. God loves everyone. As a matter of fact, God loves every person in the world. It doesn't matter your, your proclivities, your, your, your political affiliation, e- even if you're part of a nation... From Oakland, and Los Angeles, and Las Vegas. God loves everyone. He loves all of us. He loves Raider fans. He loves Charger fans. He loves Giant fans. He even loves Dodger fans. He loves everyone. Every race, every creed, every color. God loves the world. But here's the thing. God knew something. He knew that our sin had separated us from him. That every human, the Bible says in the book of Romans, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here's what that means. It means that all of us, even, even in our best day, on our best day, doing our best things, there's always like a, a tinge of sin, of rebelliousness, of disobedience to God. I remember one time I was serving in a homeless shelter. And I was, I was, I was about to step up and like be the, like the food server on, on the line. And this woman jumped in front of me. And she took the spot. And I just had to stand there. And I remember like. Having so much contempt for that woman. While I was there to serve God. I'm here to serve you Lord. Oh wait. Like even in my best motives. I'm sinful. And the Bible says that that. Thing that's in every human. Has separated us from him. And it says for God so loved the world. He gave his only son. That whoever believes in him. Shall not perish. Perish. Let me talk to you about perishing for a second. Sometimes we think about like. Because the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. And it's not just uh, I'm dead. It's, It's spiritual separation from God forever. When you think of perishing. If I set a banana on my podium. And I leave it here for a week. It will perish, and it is a slow process that it goes from how, how it was designed to be to this smelly, disgusting, gross thing, and eventually it just keeps perishing and guys that 's what our sin does to our soul apart from God, but the Bible says this that you were made to know God, you were made to be connected to God, this is why he sent Jesus for you, and the the, the Bible says Jesus came. He, Jesus said, I came that you might have life. You would not perish. That you might have life and have it abundantly. And here's what that means. That Jesus came for you because he created you. He knows the person you were meant to be. And he came to restore you to become that person. But until you receive him, it says in John 1:12, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become a children of God. That when you receive Jesus, then you no longer perish. And you can take hold of the abundant life that God's given you. And some of you are like, yeah, but I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to get... Listen. This is the beginning of the walk of faith. That you, you don't know how it works, but you say... I believe you, Jesus. I trust you. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how you're going to get me to become that person. I, I, I'm new to all this, but I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to receive you to forgive me of my sins and make me the person you want me to be. And in a moment, if you've never done that, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do it. See, God has left you ridiculously in charge of whether you will choose him or not he's offered eternal life he's offered you life abundant he's offered you the life you were created to live but you have to take hold of it and receive it or you could choose no I'm going to do it my way and what the bible says is that your way will end in perishing my way will end in perishing Jesus way leads to life eternal the abundant life and it takes courage to take hold of it so if you've never done that before i would i would encourage you take that first step of faith step into that and watch what god does with your life begin that and see what god does jesus said in revelation three twenty he said behold i stand at the door and i knock if anyone listens what that means really it's an analogy that jesus the God of the universe, he loves you. He wants a life for you. He stands at the door of your heart and says, I want in, I want you, I have this for you. Please take it, please take me. And, but he will respect what you choose. And if you decide to put it off, he'll say, okay. But every decision you make is a decision and it shapes your tomorrow. And I believe today, For some of you, it's your courageous day. It's your day, like Joshua, you stood at the river and went, okay, let's go. It's your moment, but you have to decide that. You have to step into that courage. Let's pray.